0: Hello, my name is Rachel. I go to the 6pm service. I will be reading Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 25. So please start with me. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see anything. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and did not eat nor drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall.
1: Hi everyone, it's great to be with you. If I haven't met you personally, my name is Pete Stacy, and I'm the evening pastor here at Shell Harbour City Anglican. It's been great to catch up with people after the podcast each week on Zoom. So can I encourage you to write down any questions that you have as you listen and join us at 10 a.m. and 7 p.m.? The link is on our Facebook members page. Can I also say thank you to Elva for leading us in prayer today and especially for that beautiful artwork portraying the complete transformation of a person who puts their trust in Christ. New creation, that's the language Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 5. And the same Paul is the one who's writing this letter and in this passage he describes his own conversion as such a window into his heart as he's transformed by the glorious gospel of God. So let's ask God to do a wonderful work in our hearts as we look at his word now. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for your great love for us and giving us your word. Uh, Like those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Lord, please open our minds to understand the scriptures. Father, please teach us and nourish our faith through your word today, that we may grow to be more like Christ that we may grow to to love and trust Him more deeply and serve Him more faithfully, in Jesus' name, Amen. Last week, Paul expressed his great concern about the false teachers who distorted and departed from the gospel uh, because they misunderstood God's law, and they were leading people astray in the church. It's a very serious situation. Then he explained what the law is for. The law makes us aware of our sin uh, so that the gospel about Jesus shows us what God has done about it. And as I said last week, the the law provides the diagnosis, the gospel provides the cure. And at the end of verse 11, Paul says, the glorious gospel has been entrusted to me. And so what we have in this passage today is not merely Paul's explanation of the glorious gospel but his personal response to it, and it captures his heart and soul so profoundly that by verse 17, he spontaneously bursts into his own song of praise. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. And It's my hope and prayer that Paul's passion and purpose will rub off on you and I. As we explore this passage together. Now, to help us follow it and make sense of it, I'm using three simple headings Paul the servant, Paul the example, and Paul's charge to Timothy. So, firstly, Paul the servant. Verse 12 I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. And how did Paul serve God? Well, he was a great apostle. An evangelist and church planter, having such a phenomenal impact uh, in the, the Roman world at the time. An honoured leader of the early church. But he doesn't say appointed to honour or leadership, but to service. That was Paul's position. As such a good reminder to those of us who are in full-time ministry. Because like Paul, we are appointed to be servants of Christ, servants of the gospel and servants of the church. And the wonderful privilege of this just grips Paul's soul with humble delight. There's absolutely absolutely no sense of entitlement here. Before his conversion, Paul was completely against Christ and Christians. But Jesus chose him, confronted him, converted him, considered him trustworthy and commissioned him as apostle to the Gentiles. Remember in Acts chapter 9, the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Now spare a thought for Paul and Ananias there. God had given Ananias a simple message to pass on. But the person he had to tell it to was Paul, the one that was this famous persecutor of Christians. But he still faithfully delivered it. Yeah, He considered obedience to God more important than his fear of Paul. What a great example for us right there, isn't it? Now, when people want to be appointed to a certain position, it's interesting to see what credentials they list in their job applications. Now, it depends on the type of job, obviously, but it might be the letters after their name, especially if you've got PhD, sounds good. Uh, field experience, high-profile employers in, in their work history, perhaps a few published journal articles, perhaps a a lot of different licences for different machinery, whatever it is. Imagine you're on a panel and uh, you're interviewing Paul for the honoured role of apostle. And you ask the question, hey, Paul, look, tell us three things that make you the perfect choice for this role. And he says, verse 13, I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. It's that awkward moment when you kind of glance at your colleagues and say, does anyone have any further questions? Thanks for coming, Paul. We'll call you. Paul was a zealously religious man, but he was a blasphemer because he had denied Jesus as God's son and our saviour. They didn't realise that he was a blasphemer until Jesus met him personally and set him straight. Remember that moment when Paul, in great terror, said to Jesus, Who are you, Lord? He had no idea who Jesus really was. And as for being a persecutor and a violent man, Paul was brutal. Many believers had suffered and died because of him. Now, this is the man who watched Stephen be stoned to death. And he loved every minute of it. As Jesus said in John chapter 16, we looked at it a few weeks ago. The time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. That's Paul to a T. He was ignorant to the truth of the gospel. And so he says, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Now, his ignorance and unbelief were not an excuse for his terrible behavior. And it certainly didn't remove his guilt. But he says it to draw a stark contrast with the false teachers in Ephesus. Notice that they're also called blasphemers at the end of verse 20. See, Paul was an outsider to faith in Jesus. He was an outsider to the church. But Alexander and Hymenaeus, they were insiders. They knew the gospel. They knew who Jesus was. They'd seen the grace of God at work. That's why their departure from the truth of the gospel is so hideous. Now, whether it's a slow drift or a sudden departure, to know the way of Christ and to reject it is eternally fatal. And friends, if you resonate with that at all, even the tiniest bit, then please turn back to Jesus. Turn to the gospel and grasp hold of God's mercy in Christ once again now think about Paul what could possibly change a man such as Paul who was not only outside the church but a violent persecutor of the church look at verse 14 the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus God's choice of Paul is such a powerful example, a living example of the gospel that he was entrusted to proclaim. In his conversion, we see God's love and mercy and grace so clearly. Now, when this letter was written, the early Christians didn't have the New Testament to rely on. But there are undoubtedly numerous songs and manuscripts and creeds sort of circulating around. So Paul quotes one that provides an accurate and simple definition of the gospel. You can see it there in verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying, now, unlike the false doctrine he's opposing, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Now, when he says it deserves full acceptance, obviously means we need to fully believe everything about the gospel, live our lives accordingly. But he means here that it deserves full acceptance because it's to be accepted by everyone, fully, you know, by everyone, including people like what Paul was before his conversion. Now, think about this. Who's the least likely person you can think of that would ever become a follower of Jesus? Why don't you start praying for them? Why not ask God to give you the opportunity to share the gospel with them? In the late 1800s, early 1900s, there was an American evangelist named Mordecai Ham, And he made this his strategy, deliberately seeking out the most notorious sinners and preaching the gospel to them. And many were saved. In fact, with all the crowds that came over the next 30 years, uh, town after town, thousands were converted through his ministry, including, interestingly, a young lad named Billy Graham. Now, if you haven't heard of him, just Google it. The thing is here, we don't know how ready another person is to hear the gospel. We can't see the heart. And we sure don't know how God just might use them in his service in the future. So pray, share, speak the good news. Now, the bottom line is this. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace in the gospel. But everyone needs to accept it, needs to hear it. That includes our families and neighbours, sporting teams, school friends, work colleagues, everyone. The message is so simple. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Not just into the church, or the youth group, but into the world. That includes everyone, and it includes you. So can I I ask you the question, have you personally accepted the salvation that Jesus offers? There's a line in an old song that says, Nothing you can do could make him love you more. And nothing that you've done could make him close the door. If you've not already done so, turn from sin and put your trust in Jesus so that you too can be saved. A little bit later uh, in our podcast, we'll be sharing in the Lord's Supper together. It's a, a visible reminder of what Jesus did on the cross to save us. And Paul is so aware and grateful for his own salvation. I'm the worst of sinners, he exclaims. And then in verse 16... But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. His point is really quite simple. If he can be saved, anyone can. And Paul just can't contain himself at this point. Verse 17, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible. The only God be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. His spontaneous explosion of praises, it's just so appropriate in the light of God's mercy. And friends, this is like 15 plus years after his conversion. I just find this so inspiring. Now, if you're like me and you've been a Christian for quite some time, do we still have the same fresh, God-glorifying appreciation for our salvation? How might we express our joy today at home, school, work, rest, play, wherever we are? How might we express our joy in the way we communicate? I like the Old Testament idea of sticking Bible verses on your door frames or walls or perhaps these days the fridge. As the world around around us seems to become more hostile to Christianity, Let's not bunker down and and keep it to ourselves. Let's celebrate how wonderful it is to be saved by the living God through the death and resurrection of his son Jesus Christ. What a glorious uh, gospel it is to share. And we, we can share it with words to those we interact with. Hashtag God is amazing. Glorious gospel. Too wonderful for words. As we come to the end of this chapter, Paul's focus returns to Timothy there in Ephesus. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Now, the word command points us back to verse three about stopping the false teachers from harming the church. And Paul now extends on that kind of military language to say that Timothy has a battle, a fight on his hands. And what's the fight? To hold on to faith and a good conscience. We might have expected the fight to be with those false teachers, and I'm sure there was some conflict there. But the the real fight is actually an internal one. Fight to hold on to faith. In other words, keep listening to and trusting Jesus and hold on to a good conscience. That comes from repenting from sin. Friends, the Christian life doesn't just begin with repentance and faith, that's how it continues. And it's a fight. I mean, we, we battle against our own sinful desires, against the lure of the culture around us, and against the temptations of the devil. But stand firm in the strength that Jesus provides. Keep turning from sin. Keep looking to and trusting him and following him. Paul encourages Timothy here to to find strength in recalling the prophecies made about him. This pops, pops up again a few chapters later, chapter four. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Now, that probably refers to Timothy's commissioning to lead the church in Ephesus. We don't know if that's exactly what's pointing to here in chapter one. But what is clear is his purpose to faithfully teach the scriptures. And that's why protecting believers from false teaching was so important. Because the fruit of false teaching is disastrous. As Paul says, hold on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have shipwrecked their faith. I find that word so descriptive, shipwrecked. It's an image of utter hopelessness and complete destruction. Do you want your faith to look like that? I certainly hope not. Friends, one of the hardest things in my Christian life has been seeing people who were once close brothers and sisters in the Lord shipwreck their faith. Sadly, in every generation, there are some that are quite well known. In Ephesus, it was Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom Paul says, I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. They had shut out true faith and a good conscience from their lives. They would turned From the gospel. So Paul shuts them out from the fellowship and encouragement of the church where they were once leading. That's what that last bit means about handing over to Satan. Friends, putting these two men out of the church was an act of love for them, to jolt them into recognising the seriousness of their error so they could repent. One of the things I struggle to understand is why anyone would purposely do this to themselves, shutting themselves out from the church. Friend, if you call yourself a child of God, why avoid the family gathering? Putting these two men out of the church was also an act of love for the church to protect them from false teaching. The image of a shipwreck here is, I think, really insightful. For a false teacher in the church is like a ship captain sailing everyone on that ship towards the rocks or an iceberg for that matter. So, too, many lives are endangered when false teaching is coming from the church leadership. Friends, hold on to the glorious gospel As you listen to the teaching of this church or anywhere else, check it against the scriptures and don't merely know the truth up here. Believe it and let Jesus transform your life completely. Fight bravely to hold on to your faith and a good conscience for your good, for the good of your brothers and sisters here at church and for the glory of God and the progress of his glorious gospel. Amen.